Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Read John 17, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word." Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. So we'll be focusing on more or less Jesus' prayer in verse uh, 11 when he asks um, that they be kept, that the apostles be kept in his name. And so my goal in spending time in this passage in the Gospel of John is to fix the glory of Jesus Christ on our minds and hearts. Jesus, in this prayer, is asking his father to return him to the glory he had with his father before the foundation of the world. And he is also praying for men and women that the father had given to him. Jesus is leaving the world. Shortly, he'd be hanging from a tree, dying for the sins of the world. Shortly, shortly he'd be agonizing under the crushing blows of his father. And through that dying, his people also see not just uh, a picture of, of crushing blows, but they also will see the full glory of Jesus Christ. The prayer concludes with these words, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the hope of the Christian is that He will one day be in the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, there to glory in his Savior's glory forever. And so the Christian has cast anchor in heaven and looks forward to that peace and that rest and that healing and that sinlessness and that worship. That hope um, was the hope of the apostles. 
That was their hope. Just moments before Jesus taught his apostles in the upper room and prayed this prayer, the apostle Peter expressed this hope. You remember this in John 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. The Apostle Peter wants to be where Jesus is. He wants to be with Jesus. He may not completely understand what Jesus means when he says he's going away, but Peter knows he wants to be wherever Jesus is going or where he's going to be. And, of course, you know how Jesus responds to Peter's uh, I, I will lay down my life for you. Um, in John thirteen thirty eight, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So very much the opposite. You see, Jesus knows that the apostles have been called to stay behind. They're called to stay behind when Jesus goes on ahead to prepare a place for them, those dwelling places in heaven. Jesus knows that these apostles will go about this earth in the power of the Holy Spirit, being witness of him, and eventually dying as martyrs for him after they have completed their own work. So they won't just roam around having heavenly thoughts and being no earthly good, monks tunked away in a monastery. That's not what they're called to. They'll be called to preach the word, to enter into high courts and the meeting places of philosophers and in the homes of the Gentiles. And as Jesus tells the Apostle Paul to learn how much they have to suffer for Jesus' name. Jesus, in a previous training session with the apostles that we read about in Matthew chapter 10, said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles." And so the the apostles have hard work to do, hard work. They definitely must be called by God to accomplish this work. They have hard witnessing work to do, for which they will eventually die, for which they will eventually be killed, some in the same manner as their Savior by hanging from a cross. Jesus knows this, that their work is going to be hard. Jesus knows how many days that he's appointed to each one of these men. And so we see Jesus here praying to his Father for the apostles, praying that his Father would keep them. That that verse 11, we read this, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. There have been a few times when I've prayed similar prayers. Oh, Father, keep them. Watch over them. Be with them because I can't be with them or I can't be near to them. There have been a few times when Sarah has headed out for long trips with the kids and I know there's nothing I can do for them now. I'm left behind to enjoy the silence. (laughs) I mean, uh, left behind to um, dislike the silence. Um, 
But at those times when she's going off on her own, uh, in similar times for you, we pray, just asking God to keep them, um, to be with them. There have been other times when, when Sarah's been sick or one of the kids has been sick, and there's nothing that I can do about it, um, not, even, not even the stash of uh, essential oils in my closet is going to do anything for them at this point. So even being close to them isn't dealing with the issue. Right? Their sickness and pain are out of my hands. And so I pray, Father, keep them. Keep them. As a pastor, there are times when I see someone straying from the flock, somebody uh, who, who, who's just longing for the world. And, you know, their attendance starts to diminish in the church services. And then, um, you know, and then it's a few weeks later, you get a strange email, and they want to discuss some controversial topic, and that's never what the issue really is. And then... And then eventually you see that they just want to go the way of the world. And, in, you know, and I, in all my wisdom and words and exhortations, seem to just be powerless. And so I pray, Father, keep them. Perhaps, um, uh, well, I remember reading a biography of Adoniram Judson, who was uh, the first uh, missionary to the, the land of Burma, it's now Myanmar, but Burma back in the, the early 19th century. And there's one particular aspect of his life that no doubt had him on his knees pleading with the father to keep them. And in many cases, it was his sick wife that was um, put out to sea. John Piper writes about this, um, this method. Missionary time in those days were very slow. It was a world of difference from today. If someone was sick enough... The typical remedy to save life was a sea voyage. So a marriage or the entire work could be put on hold, so to speak, for three to six months. Or it could be longer, eight years into their mission, Anne was so ill that the only hope was a trip home from Burma back to Boston. She sailed on August 21st, 1821. She returned on December 5th, 1823. Two years and four months later, and when she arrived, he had not heard from her for ten months. Ten months. If you are married and you love your wife, this is the way you die day after day for a greater good and a greater joy. So ten months. I mean, we don't get a return on our cell phones from a text in ten minutes and we're like undone. Ten months, no contact. Ten months on a uh, a wooden cork of a boat on the seas, the you know the the Indian Ocean, the the Atlantic Ocean from um, Burma to Boston, just uh, rather remarkable. Imagine Adoniram praying, having not heard uh, about his his wife who left sick, right, and uh, for ten months. It was more than likely that he would never see her again. That her children would never see their mother again. And so you can imagine him daily and moment by moment praying, Oh, Father, keep them. That would have been his prayer day and night. And that was Jesus' prayer here on the night before his arrest and a few days before his death. He would be taken away and his dear friends would be left to fight the good fight. And so he prays, keep them. He he has a sense that the Father must do this work because his leaving will have consequences. In verse 12, we understand that Jesus 
must stop one aspect of his work. He says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. Jesus will no longer be right with them to guard them and keep them. He's been doing that work up until now, he's, but now he's going he's gonna to go and be seated to the right hand of the Father. And of course, we know that, that though Jesus is going to be with the Father, he will be sending them a helper who will guide and teach them. Right Again, just before this prayer in chapter 16 of John, Jesus teaches them that truth. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But even still, right? even knowing that the Holy Spirit is coming, even still the love of Jesus for his disciples is on display. He knows what is coming. He even knows that it is better for them... That they go that that they go away because of the mighty spirit of God will live with them and abide in them. Yet he still pleads with the Father that he would keep them. Jesus loves these men just as you loved your love you love your loved ones around you and pray for them and pray for God to keep them. So keep them is the prayer that Jesus makes for. Not just for these apostles, but keep them is the prayer that Jesus makes for every one of his children, every believer. The word of God says Jesus, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. On this, J.C. Ryle beautifully says, the special intercession of the Lord Jesus is one grand secret of the believer's safety. He is daily watched and thought for and provided for with unfailing care by one whose eye never slumbers and never sleeps. They never perish because he never ceases to pray for them and his prayer must prevail. The true servant of Christ ought to lean back his soul on the truth before us and take comfort in it. Lean back his soul on that truth. That's a really uh, beautiful way to put that. Relax into that truth. In making this prayer for every believer, Jesus is saying something helpful about the Christian life. No doubt, um, when difficulty came to the apostles, when they were facing persecution and stoning and standing before Roman governors, they were thinking, get me out of here, Lord Jesus. Get me out of this situation. But Jesus has made it clear that he would not remove them from such trials and remove them from such pain, but that he would keep them through it. Right? God doesn't promise any of us that we would be removed from our pain but we, we are promised that he will watch over us throughout it and keep, keep us through it. In verse 15 we read, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Right? I'm not asking you to remove them from, from these difficulties. Ryle again says, We need not doubt that our Lord's all-seeing eye detected in the hearts of his disciples an impatient desire to get away from this troubled world. Few in number and weak in strength, surrounded on every side by enemies and persecutors, they might well long to be released from the scene of conflict and to go home. Even David said in a certain place, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would, feel, then I would fly away and be at rest. 
Seeing all this, our Lord has wisely placed on record this part of his prayer for the perpetual benefit of his church. He has taught us the great lesson that he thinks it better for his people to remain in the world and be kept from its evil than to be taken out of the world and removed from the presence of evil altogether. So better to remain near to evil in the presence of evil and to be kept by God than to be removed entirely from evil itself. So what's the, the purpose of such a deal? Ryle again goes on, he says, How could Christ's people do any good in this world if taken away from it immediately after conversion? Right? Imagine that. You know, you, you come to faith in Christ, you're immediately transported off into the presence of God. Well, how could they exhibit the power of grace and make proof of faith and courage and patience as good soldiers of a crucified Lord? How could they be duly trained for heaven and taught to value the blood and intercession and patience of their Redeemer unless they purchased their experience by suffering? Questions like these admit of only one kind of answer. To abide here in this veil of tears, tried, tempted, assaulted, and yet kept from falling into sin is the surest plan to promote the sanctification of Christians and to glorify Christ. He that would win the crown must carry the cross and show himself light in the midst of darkness and salt in the midst of corruption. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. So let me, um, I, I think of, I think of, situations that friends of mine have been in where they're suffering, I think, is beyond, um, you know, something that I could handle. Um, I've told you about the Darren and Julie Morgan before August of 2007. We had a memorial service for their one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Abigail, up in Toledo. And that memorial service was one of the most beautiful services of worship I've been a part of after... You know, just seeing a one-and-a-half-year-old go through agonizing treatments and chemotherapies and uh, countless hours in the hospital at U of M in Ann Arbor, their daughter was taken from them. And at the end of it, they worshipped and praised God. You know, they were there at the memorial with their hands in the air, worshipping and praising God and sang songs of joy at it. And and, um, here's what they wrote on the back of the bulletin as a thank you. Darren and Julie would like to thank God for his faithfulness. For the gift of children, especially for his provision over the last seven months, we thank our ch- church family, friends, and neighbors for loving us, praying for us, and meeting so many of our practical needs. We thank our family for caring for, for all of us and especially for lovingly taking care of sweet Eliana. We would also like to thank our employers. We want to thank the incredible care Abigail received by the hospital, and they named the hospitals. We're thankful for the patients and their families. We thank God for our precious children whom he used to teach us to experience joy even in the midst of suffering. Eliana for being goofy when we needed a good laugh, and Abigail for smiling and having a joyful spirit throughout her life, and especially while battling cancer. Above all, we thank God for the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have the promise of eternal life, and in whom we find peace and comfort that passes all earthly understanding. We trust that Abigail is now spending eternity in the light of the presence of God. Praise the Lord. It, of course, is a, a blow that lingers on for them, but they handled it by faith. And then a few years after that, we learned that Julie 
um, who was 27 weeks pregnant at the time, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Right, so a blow after a blow. Um, and they found those tumors. She, she faced all kinds of complications of the pregnancy, right, and couldn't, couldn't go through chemo while pregnant and had to wait. And, um, and uh, you know, that blow on top of losing a child, you would think that, um, you know, they would, they would uh, struggle with their faith fundamentally. But they didn't. And, and you know it was because many were, many were praying, Father, keep them. Keep them. Do not let bitterness take root in their heart. And, you know, you read on their caring page at that time, uh, Darren and I spent some time praying, and thankfully the rough day is easing. Please pray for us all. I think the next few months are going to be opportunities to increase my prayer life and reliance on the treasure trove of Scripture I have stored in my heart and head. Right? To be able to, to see that as an opportunity to um, tap into the, the, the treasure of Scripture that she had memorized. Um, and God, God kept them. She, uh, she, it's been five years since then, and she has been free of cancer since then. But um, uh, what, a, what a double blow to bury a child and then to learn shortly after that that you have to have a double mastectomy and and uh, and then go through chemotherapy, and uh, the, the weight was very heavy on them. But but they've they believe in Jesus, and they've been faithful. Um, God will continue to keep them and their children because Jesus has prayed this: "Keep them in Your name." And the Father of the Father in heaven keeps guard over them. One last point: Jesus prayed, "Keep them in Your name." What does it mean to be kept in God's name? When Scripture speaks of God's name, just remember this. It's a shorthand way of referring to all of God's attributes. God's name is every one of his perfections, right? Just encapsulated into one phrase. And so it's all of what he is, right? To be protected or kept in his name is therefore to be protected by the one who is sovereign, holy, all-knowing, wise, compassionate, and anything else that can properly be said of God. It's to be kept by that one. And so um, we know from Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. And so to be kept in the name of Jesus is to run to that strong tower, right, and to be kept safe. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your, your keeping of us. Father, we... We, we so easily despair when we go through trials that we know come from your hand. We know for are for our building up and our strengthening, and yet, Father, we, we get confused so easily. And yet, it's good for us to remember that Jesus said he wasn't going to take us out of the world, but that he would keep us while we were in it. And so, Father, I pray that we would rest in this knowledge and that we would trust you through any trial. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.